The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm glad you're here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend, and we probably still have some family visiting in here, so welcome to you as well. Glad that, that you're here. So our family hosted our first Thanksgiving. We've always, like, we had to cook the turkey and all of that. Somehow we've gotten off going to either parent over uh, Thanksgiving. So, but my daughter had her wisdom teeth out right before the break, and we thought she might not be able to travel. So as it turned out, she went walking out of the office just fine. So we could have traveled, but it was great having actually family from both sides come, and it went great. And so, and Hannah actually walked out of the office after her surgery. She got her mom's genetics in recovering from things and not mine. I would have been carried out in a stretcher. So but um, it's good to have you here. And so like the video just showed, it's very easy for our minds to be distracted from what's happening and what's right in front of us. And so like John mentioned, that's one of the purposes for Advent is to get us thinking about what Christmas is really about, making sure that we don't miss Jesus being so significant and the main reason for this season. Um, But what's even scarier is that it can go beyond just a Christmas season. There can be actually years of our lives that we are so distracted, that we are living for things that really don't matter, that we get worked up and freaked out and hyped out about things that we'll look back and go, what was I thinking? How could I have lived so many years in that way? And so what, what we're going to see this morning is that God, I think, loves to step into our lives with a wake-up call. God loves to show us his glory in a fresh way so that our lives can come into perspective. And we're looking uh, for over the next eight or nine months as a church, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a fascinating book. It was written in the Old Testament. It was written 700 years before the time of Christ. But yet Isaiah so clearly pictures for us who Jesus is and what Jesus was going to come and do. And so in the early chapters of the book Isaiah, of Isaiah, there are many references to the coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. So that's where we're going to land during this season. And then later into 2016, we're going to cover other key parts of the book of Isaiah. But, but this morning, we're going to see Isaiah encountering uh, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And if that's a big word for you, it, it means it, he's going to see Jesus before Jesus came to earth in, in the form of a baby and before Jesus did his ministry as living in the, the body of of a man and before he ascended into heaven. What was Jesus like in, in eternity past, in pre-baby, pre-manger, pre-Christmas status? Who was Jesus? We're going to see that. And even more significantly is that as Isaiah saw the glory of God, it radically, radically changed his life. And so that's where I'm coming this morning is that I would love for God to elevate our eyes to truly see how glorious Jesus is so that we just won't miss Jesus as being the reason for the season, but that, that truly seeing the, the pre-incarnate Jesus in his glory would just radically change how we live our lives. So we're going to hear the verses read to us now uh, creatively through spoken word, and then we'll pray. So let's listen to the scripture. <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, him alone in an exalted state, other beings in his presence falling prostrate, Yahweh holding oceans in his hands, stars taking place 
at his command, even his robe filling the temple like a river of his splendor couldn't be measured with eons of effort. Eternal King, high and lifted up. Above him flew the seraphim, each with six wings, two covering his face, two covering his feet. With two they flew, and with a loud voice they cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now as these worshipers worshipped with burning hot passion, the very foundations of the threshold shook. And as for me, I couldn't look at what was before me, and I too shook, saying, Woe is me, for I am undone like an unraveled rope, with no hope to be in your presence with unclean lips, being a man from a people of unclean lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So before we study this great passage, why don't you just pray for about a minute here and ask God to speak to you clearly. Ask God to show you his glory. Ask God to teach you what you need to hear this morning. And could you pray for me that I would speak very clearly, that I would communicate God's word accurately, and that God would be our teacher this morning. God, use this great passage to lift up our eyes to see your glory and then help us respond like people who have been in your presence and do great things this morning. It's in your great name we pray, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah chapter six, verse one. If you wanna follow along the outline in the bulletin, you can do that as well. You gotta be careful now. We're start, stepping into that time of year where you can't always just go flying out your front door, uh, there's gonna be some days where there's gonna be some ice there, right? And so me versus ice over the years has not gone very well, okay? So steps, sidewalks, driveways, be careful. And, and that's kind of a picture of our lives when there are times of uncertainty, when the things that we usually cling to and depend on, rely on, like our health or things in our family going well or a job going well, the economy, when, when there's a downturn in any of those areas, then our lives can feel shaken up. There can be uncertainty in our lives. And that's exactly what's happening in Isaiah's life when he says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So in this passage, when Isaiah had this this vision of the glory of God, what happened first to him was that his foundations in his life were being shaken. King Uzziah was an amazing king, uh, especially compared to many of the other kings in Isaiah's era, many wicked and bad kings. Uzziah was actually a good one. But now he has just died and everybody knew who his son was and that his son was not going to be a good leader. And so times were not looking good for the country. So it's in that time of uncertainty that Isaiah has this this view. He sees Jesus before Jesus comes as baby in the manger before Jesus comes in human flesh. I had several people. I used, there's a verse in John that links this passage with Jesus. It's John 12, 41. 
John 12, 41. I had a lot of people last hour look that up because a lot of people, this was a new concept to them. You mean Isaiah 6, the king on the throne, is Jesus. It's like, absolutely. And it is so healthy for us to see Jesus in his glory before he came so humbly, as Isaiah would predict, as a suffering servant. Okay, so this is pre-incarnate Jesus that Isaiah sees sitting on the throne. And he says this, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He's not pacing. He's not frantic. He's in charge. He's ruling. He is seated firmly, securely on the throne. It says that he is high and lifted up. There is no one greater. There is no one above him. Like Psalm 115.3 says, the Lord is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. He doesn't have to ask permission of anybody. He is ruling. He is sovereign. He is in charge. All right. Then it says that his, the train of his robe filled the temple. This is new turf for us. We don't wear robes with big trains. We're not used to our leaders wearing those things. In that day, kings would have a train on their robe. The closest thing we can come to is a wedding where you see a, a bride with a long gown and a train behind it. The longest, I had to, I'm not into wedding gowns, so like I had to look this stuff up, right? Lady Diana's, uh, back in the, what, early 80s, her train was 25 feet long. And so more recently, uh, Princess Kate's gown, the, the train was nine feet long. Again, I don't keep those statistics, all right? Maybe baseball, football statistics, not wedding gown statistics. But that's kind of in our day, those were the longest, longest gowns. And so when you're at a wedding, though, it's, and you see the woman wearing white with the train, uh, the whole purpose of that is this is the one who we are here to honor. This is the one who is the center of attention. So when it talks about the Lord on his throne and his train is filling the room, filling the temple, it's just showing us he is clearly the one that is the center of attention. He is the one who is worshiped and listened to and respected. Then verse two says, and then above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. The seraphim were angels. And actually, the word seraph means burning one. Literally, these were like flaming creatures. These were glorious, astonishingly powerful and glorious creatures. And so I don't know who it was that came up with the notion that angels are like these short little chubby kids wearing a diaper with little wings, you know, and a little arrow or a little harp. Like, that's not a biblical picture of an angel. Um, because whenever an angel would appear to a person, what's the first words they always had to say? Fear not because they were so glorious. It wasn't like, oh, let me hug you. You look so cuddly. It was like, I'm afraid of you. Like, I'm freaked out because you are so glorious. And so that's a picture of these seraphim. They are there at the throne, ready to do the king's bidding. They, as glorious and powerful as they are, they are serving the king. It is not about them. In fact, they aren't just there to serve the king, but they're there to praise the king. They are shouting back and forth to each other, not like, man, you look awesome. Man, look how glorious we are. It's like together they are praising the king, and they are saying over and over to him, uh, holy, holy, holy. Let's just read what they says. It says, one called to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So these glorious creatures around the throne proclaiming the holiness of the king. Sometimes we diminish, I think, the meaning of the word holy, and it definitely contains the concept of purity or moral perfection. But it goes beyond that. To say, especially three times, three times means an emphasis. Emphatically, these seraphim are saying, you are one and only. You are unique. You are supreme. You are set apart. There is no one like you. So there is no one like Jesus in his power, in his greatness, in his wisdom, in his rule, in his holiness, in his perfection, in his love. Out of all of his qualities, there is no one like him because he is set above and set apart from every other creature on this planet. So he is holy, holy, holy. And he is the Lord of hosts. It means literally the Lord of armies, that he has armies at his disposal for defense, and that he, has, he will never be attacked, he will never be defeated, and he has armies, he has powers to execute whatever he wants to have done. He, he will never be stopped. He never has to ask permission. And whenever he needs to execute justice or set, across, set you know, things right that have been going wrong, he's got the power and he's got the armies to pull that off. He is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. Again, glory can be one of those church words, religious words we just throw around. Literally, the Hebrew word glory meant to be heavy. It means to be significant or important. So the whole earth is filled with your glory. It means you are the most prominent, the most significant. You matter most on this whole planet. It is all about you. The whole earth is full of his glory. And again, I feel like I have to keep reminding myself of this. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus before the baby in the manger. Jesus before the suffering servant. Uh, Because there were times in Jesus' life where you saw his glory. When he walked on water. When he raised the dead. And when he healed the sick. When he stopped the storm. I mean, he showed his glory. But in general, a lot of people missed who Jesus was because he came as a suffering servant. He came as a baby born to poor parents and was raised in backwoods, Nazareth of Galilee. A lot of people missed who he was because he came so humbly. But this is the pre-incarnate Jesus. John tells us in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Sometimes when that passage is read over Christmas and you picture this baby creating the world, you go, that's kind of crazy. But when you see the Isaiah 6 pre-incarnate Jesus sitting on the throne, this makes sense. This is the all-powerful, holy Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And John 1.14 says that the word became flesh and he lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, and even though John said that he saw the glory of God when he lived here on this earth, there was another time where John saw the glory of God in the book of Revelation. 
that so John was probably Jesus' closest friend on this earth. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus ascended into heaven. And then God gave John a vision. That's what the whole book of Revelation is, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, even though Jesus and John were really close, when John saw Jesus in heaven, his glory fully revealed, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. That's how blown blown away he was at the glory of Jesus Christ. And it is so important for us to see Jesus. You know, it's not just let Jesus be the reason for the season. It's like, let Jesus' glory dominate your view of this life. Let Jesus and his glory dictate how you live your life. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2 that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I hope we're ready for that. I hope you're ready for that because he is the king. And he came the first time as a suffering servant. The second time he is coming as a conquering king. And so I hope we're ready for his return. I hope we are ready to see him in his glory. Because I hope you noticed when Isaiah saw Jesus in his glory, he wasn't ready. And and to be honest, we're not ready on our own either. Look how Isaiah responded. He said, woe is me. Woe is an utter declaration of deficiency and of it's just bad. Like this is not good for me. Woe is me because I'm in the presence of a holy God. He said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe, again, it's hopeless. All is lost. Isaiah was just struck. When you are in the presence of the glory of God, what happens is that you are immediately struck with your own sinfulness, that I don't belong here. Who am I in the presence of such a holy king? And that's why he says, woe is me. And guess how many sins it would take for you to have that, that response. It would take just one. Because even just one sin separates us immensely from this holy God. Woe is me. It's interesting that, you know, he could have said, woe is me, I am a, from a people of unclean hands, or I'm a man of unclean eyes. Why does he mention his lips? And it's interesting, the timing. It's right after the seraphim were proclaiming over and over again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just the praise. I think Isaiah, again, if you were to poll the people in Isaiah's country, who's the most righteous person in our country? Isaiah would be right at the top. Isaiah was a spokesman for God. You would think if anybody had the best speech in his country, it'd be Isaiah. But yet Isaiah was so aware of his, his sin. Jesus said it's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so maybe that's what convicted Isaiah so much. He thinks, just think of the things I talk about, the things that I boast about, and how small, how insignificant they are to the glory, compared to the glory of this king. So, and you know, here's what's really important. One of the big takeaways this morning is that until we see the glory of Jesus Christ, we have never really accurately seen ourselves. We, we have such a way of, of seeing ourselves more highly than we really are. And we have such a tendency to diminish Jesus and our need for him 
or our awe of him will diminish Jesus and we tend to elevate ourselves. So it's not until you have seen the glory of God that you truly accurately see yourself. And really, I think one thing that becomes crystal clear when you see the glory of God is that there is no way I can be in the presence of the glory of God, much less talk to this God, be in relationship with this God, unless he does something for me. Because I, I can't do anything to attain that status. I cannot become holy and deserve to belong in his presence. And so that's what's cool about Isaiah 6 too, is that Isaiah understands, woe is me. But then God initiates when it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Remember, these are angels, that these uh, are, are servants of the king. They do what the king wants. So this wasn't a seraph doing his own thing and taking the coal and purifying Isaiah's lips. This is from the command of the king to that seraph. You go take that coal. You go tell Isaiah that his sins have been atoned. His sins have been covered. God says, I will take care of your sin. Jesus to Isaiah, I will take care of your sin. You recognized it. You said, woe is me. Now let me take care of that. And the word that you said was the word atone. Atone means uh, to forgive, to, to cover, to, to deal with, to separate from you so that it is never brought up again. This sin will never be brought up and hung over your face or hung before you, that this sin is completely dealt with. And I can't remember if I've mentioned this before. Sometimes people refer to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel because even though it was written 700 years before the time of Christ, it talks so frequently about Jesus and the roles he would play in our lives. And in this case, um, you know, in the Old Testament, the followers of God would, would understand that if they repented of their sin and if they put their faith in God, that this holy God would forgive them, would offer them forgiveness of their sins. But I don't know that they ever completely understood, well, then who's going to pay for that sin? Who's, because you're a holy God and you're a just God, you're going to demand righteous um, judgment based on our sins. Who's going to cover that? But Isaiah, 700 years ahead of time, predicted this about Jesus. In Isaiah 53, 6, we all are like sheep. We have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus is the one who came, and we're going to see uh, next week that J Isaiah predicted Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would, in Isaiah 9, he's going to be predicted to come and be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, all these predictions about Jesus, but the one that especially was meaningful to Isaiah at this moment was that Jesus would be the one to take away our sins. And so um, one thing you certainly don't want to miss through the Christmas season is this understanding that in the presence of the glory of God, our response is woe is me. And that his response out of his mercy is to offer us forgiveness of our sins through Jesus Christ. And when you accept what Jesus has done for you on the cross, that he died for your sins, that he rose again from the dead to prove his power over sin and death, when you put your faith in that, then you 
can be forgiven. Your sins, just like Isaiah's, his sins were atoned, separated from him, never brought up again, as far as the east is from the west. That can be your experience as well. And that's an amazing concept to switch from woe is me to now being able to enter the presence of God, knowing his mercy, knowing his love, knowing his forgiveness. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I just, that's an amazing gift God has for you to be set free from your sin, forgiven, no guilt, no shame, but just now in relationship with, with the holy God. You know, people who think that they're good enough to get into heaven on their own have never really seen the glory of Jesus. People who think they're good enough to look down on other people or think they're better than others, again, have never seen the glory of Jesus. Because when you have, it breaks you, it shows you, woe is me, and it makes you cling to the mercy of God, and it makes you cling to the grace of God that he has shown you through the gospel and through Jesus Christ. Verse eight is our last one we're gonna look at, and I love what that transaction of receiving mercy from God what it did for Isaiah. Look at verse eight. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go out for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And this is an amazing transformation in one minute to be saying, woe is me. And now right after that to say, here I am, send me. Like a radical transformation has gone on. He has been forgiven of sin and now he is ready to hear from God. You know, you can't really hear from God until you're on speaking terms with God, until your sins have been forgiven, and then you're able to hear the word of God and what God is saying. In fact, for me, one of the surest signs that somebody really has had their sins forgiven and they really believe in God is that they have a hunger to hear from God. They have a hunger to hear from his word. They read his word. They memorize his word. They keep thinking about his word. And that's Isaiah's experience is that now he's hearing God. He's hearing God say, who shall I send? Who will go out for us? He's excited. God's doing something. God's moving. He's looking for somebody to be involved. And so he just literally says, when he says, here am I, that's like, look at me. Look at me. It's like me, me, me. Pick me to be on to do this. I want to be on your team. And again, what a radical shift from woe is me to look at me. I, I want in. I want to be a part of what you're doing. This glorious king has a plan and he wants people to be involved. <laughs> Pick me. I want to be involved. In fact, even that next statement about send me, that was a command. He's commanding, God, send me, do it. Like, here I am. Like, not just maybe if you think about it, it's just like so eager and passionate, send me. It was a cry for give me your authority, give me your power, give me the mission, and then let me go at it. I'm going. Let me do this. I'm ready. Just a complete flip. It seems like every Hawkeye football season, you'll hear a story of somebody raised in small town Iowa that his dream was always, from the time he was a little kid, kicking a football around in his backyard to put on the black and gold jersey, to run out onto the field at Kinnick and to play for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Like it's, every year you hear that story and I think they're awesome. Those, they're really inspiring stories. But, but be honest, like even in a 12-0 and 0 season and a Big Ten championship game season, compare that 
with the glory of God. And God's saying, who's going to go for us? Who's going to put on my jersey? Who's going to go do the mission that I have for them? The privilege we have to say, here am I, send me. That's the amazing transformation that has happened in Isaiah's life. That's the amazing transformation that God wants to do in our lives. In fact, I love just I've caught myself doing this, doing this over the last several years. I'll people come up to me and just say, you know, I don't understand why, but for some reason, over the last couple months, the last year, the Bible is just becoming alive to me. Like I feel like I'm closer to God than I have ever been. And it's really cool to say to them, it is, this is not an accident. That in the next months, the next year, maybe today, maybe next week, God has something for you. And God is getting your attention and God is filling you because God is going to do something powerful in your life. Because that's a pattern you see in the Bible. I've got this in your notes too, that you see it in Moses, you see it in Elijah, you see it in Peter, you see it in Paul. It's happening to Isaiah. It happens to so many of us that we see the glory of God, we respond with awe, and we understand our need for Jesus, then we understand our forgiveness, then we begin to hear his word, and then we understand that he has a mission for us to do, and we run hard because we're inspired by this awesome God who has shown us his glory, who has shown us his mercy, who has forgiven us, and then he's given us something to do to represent him. It's powerful. And so I would say, my my. My goal for us as a church isn't just, you know, let's just not forget Jesus is the reason for the season. Like, that's, that's okay. You know, that's like square 0.1. But what if, like, we didn't just forget Jesus over Christmas, but what if we did what Jesus wanted us to do in these next five weeks that, you know, like the book of Isaiah identified his people um, were, were neglecting the poor. His people were settling for injustice. And his people were bringing down God's standards of morality. They were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And God said to Isaiah, no, my people can't live like that. And so not just we'll remember Jesus over the Advent season, but we'll, we'll be on team Jesus. We'll see his glory. We'll understand his forgiveness. We'll be, here I am, send me. And then we'll see him use us over these weeks ahead. Not just not forgetting Jesus, but being involved in what Jesus wants to do. And so if you look at your own life and you go, that, you know, it's been a while since I've had that kind of Isaiah response. The hands up saying, here I am, send me. And so what I would encourage you to do is you just, I think you've got to go back up that chain a little bit. Do you understand the mercy he has shown you? Do you understand who you are in light of the glory of God? And here's where I think the biggest root cause of God's people kind of going through the motions and forgetting about him is that we've lost our awe factor. We've lost our awe of God. There's a book that um, we're taking our staff through uh, it was written by Paul Tripp, and it's called Dangerous Calling. And he says to pastors, and particularly to Christians who have known God for many years, one of the most dangerous things that can happen to us is that we lose our awe of God. We can become so familiar with God, so familiar with the truths about God, but we lose our awe of God. And so... Um, in your notes, I've got a text box there. We're not going to have time to go through all of them. But here are some gauges that you can check in your heart to see if you truly have an awe of God. One is a natural flow out of an awe of God is humility. Humility. You'll understand how great he is and how needy and dependent you are 
on him. It won't, this life won't be about you. It'll be about him. Here's another one. He, he mentions tenderness, that nobody gives grace to others better than somebody who knows how much he needs God's grace. And so you won't be sharp and harsh and critical and looking down on others. But if you truly live with an awe of God, you'll understand how gracious he has been with you. And you'll make a way bigger deal out of your sin than you will out of other people's sins. So there'll be a tenderness. There'll be a confidence because of who you represent, because of who you are obeying, that your life will be lived knowing that you are serving this awesome king. It's not just about you. Your confidence doesn't rest in you. It rests in him. And so instead of shrinking back in fear and timidity, you will live courageously because you see how awesome God is. And the last one I'll just mention is, is rest, is rest. That we will work hard, that we will serve hard, but we will so deeply understand that this really isn't up to me. Like I, I can't change people. I can't, but God can and God has a plan and God is working his plan and so I can rest in his plan and let him be God and I will serve him and I will work hard and I will pray but at the end of the day, I will depend on him to do what he wants to do. So um, let me just wrap this time up in prayer. Let's go ahead and pray. And I think, I think the first place we need to all start is just to ask God, 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 show me, show me your glory. There was a time that Moses did that. Moses knew that God was laying a huge challenge in front of him. And Moses said, I, I can't do that unless I am sure that your presence is with me. Show me your glory. And so we're doing that this morning too. God, we don't want to just enter, enter another Christmas season just kind of going through the motions. We don't want to enter the next season of our lives just kind of slipping through and doing whatever. We want to live as people, as students, as a church that is in awe of you. God, show us your glory and then show us your mercy that you have offered every one of us forgiveness through Jesus and then help us hear your word that you have things for us to do even with neighbors, with people we work with. There are so many people around us in need of hope, in need of encouragement, in need of help, in need of the gospel. God, open our eyes and use us and may we just say, like Isaiah, each day, God, here am I. Send me. What an honor. What an honor to know you and to wear your jersey and to serve you and to be a part of what you are doing. God, may this Christmas season not be just us remembering you, but may this be a Christmas season of us participating with you to extend the glory and the goodness and the message of the gospel. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.